part of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Folks, welcome back to The Valley Labor Report. You are still tuned in to Alabama's only union talk radio show. We are now in the second half of our program. We are now in overtime. We are off the radio. We have freed ourselves from the shackles of the FCC censors, uh, and we have another full half, uh, at least probably an hour and a half of the program, potentially even longer today. I can see it going longer. Um, uh, and and uh, for the first little bit here, we're going to be reacting to this press conference from the Teamsters International President, Sean O'Brien, uh, talking about the state of the negotiations at UPS. It began a couple of minutes ago, so we're going to start at the beginning and, and, and go ahead and play that. I know, I do know that there were two or three Teamsters that told us uh, during this week that they want to call in, uh, so the phone lines are open, and, um, and if you want to put your uh, area code in the chat so that we can pull out the Teamsters uh, in case we have, you know, m- more, more callers than that calling in, uh, feel free to do that so that we can pull you as soon as the um, as soon as uh, this press conference wrapped up, wraps up. Uh, the phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can call or text or put your questions in the chat. And with that, Adam, uh, let's go ahead and play this, uh, play uh, Sean O'Brien's comments. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for being here today. My name is Sean O'Brien. I'm the General President of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. To my right is our General Secretary Treasurer, Fred Zuckerman. I'm joined here today with our National Negotiating Committee, consisting of all the leadership around the country that represents UPS. But most importantly, we have rank-and-file members who are on the committee who work for UPS, and they're responsible for making UPS the most profitable company in the delivery business. Now, to purpose of today's meeting, in press conference and to let the general public know how hard these Teamsters work for United Parcel Service. Our Teamsters are the best in the business. We represent 340,000 members. Majority of them are part-timers that go to work every single day, move boxes, load those trucks, so that truck drivers and feeder drivers can provide goods and services to this country. We want to let the general public know that we are at a crossroads right now with UPS. We're at a crossroads because through the toughest times that we've seen during the pandemic, the one thing that was constant was our Teamsters going to work every single day, making certain that supply chain kept flowing through this country. We had part-timers going to work in these warehouses with total disregard for themselves and their families, putting themselves at risk, putting their families at risk, We had members that died because they went to work to provide these services to the general public. And we want to make certain that UPS rewards 
not only the part-timers, but also the full-timers, everybody that works as a team throughout United Apostles Service. As a result of the pandemic, their profits doubled. They weighed $100 billion last year. $100 billion. And now it's time for UPS to reward the people that have made them the success they are. That is our 340 rank-and-file members. Now, we are in contract negotiations. Our contract is set to expire on July 31st. And our administration has made it clear we will not be working beyond the expiration date without the contract that our members have demanded, but more importantly, the contract that our members deserve. Now, I want to give an update. Historically, the Teamsters Union would go into negotiations one year prior to the expiration date, and that's happened over the last four cycles. That didn't work well for our members. So we decided a different strategy. We put a deadline on these negotiations. We started negotiations supplementally, where there's 44 supplements on top of the national agreement. And we told UPS that we would not go to the national table unless all 44 supplements were completed. We were able to complete 42 of those supplements. We held up negotiations nationally for another week and a half. And then we got permission from the other two supplements who were confident they were going to get it done, and they got it done, to go to the table and demand what our members want. We've been in bargaining since May nationally. We've made progress on 54 changes within this contract. And I want to remind the general public, I want to remind the politicians, and I want to remind the media, this is the largest collective bargaining agreement in any private sector union. We have the opportunity, because of the courage and conviction of our rank-and-file members that go to work every single day, to set the tone and set the standard high for labor, not just the Teamsters, but the entire labor movement. Mm -hmm. So we've been in negotiations, and we've gotten some changes. We've gotten some changes that are better our members' lives, but more importantly, take care of their families. But we're not there yet. And we're not there yet because UPS, typically like UPS, thinks that the Teamsters Union are going to concede to their demands. I'm proud to say every change that has been made right now has zero concessions and all gains for our members. And we're going to continue that right through till July 5th. This past week, UPS wasn't moving quick enough. They weren't moving quick enough, so we put a demand. We demanded a last best final offer. And that last best final offer usually is taken to our membership for a vote. UPS came back to the table knowing we were serious, made some movement, so we made a commitment to resume negotiations. And we are at a point right now where we, we have the opportunity to do two things. And UPS, ball is in their court. We have to come to an agreement by July 5th in order to get that thing ratified by the expiration date. And we've been clear again, and I know UPS is watching, they're probably hiding in the trees. But we are clear, without a ratified contract, meaning subject to the <coughs> approval of our 340,000 members, we will not be working. So UPS has two choices to make. They can either go down one road where they want to reward our members who have made them the success they are today, concede to our demands and give us what we deserve, and we will go out there and ratify this agreement. Or they can take the other road where they don't concede to our demands. They stay loyal to Wall Street 
and forget about Main Street. And if they do that, they are making a choice, a choice to strike themselves, where we will put 340,000 strong Teamsters on the streets till we get what we want, and then UPS will be responsible for stopping supply chain solution through this company. But you know, UPS has a choice. The first road, they can be the model of what it means to be a good employer, what it means to reward the people that have made them a success. You know, UPS is putting out some propaganda that they, the average UPS driver makes $93,000 per year and $50,000 in benefits. And that is true. That is only true because they have to bargain with us. But they don't tell you the other story where the majority of their employees are part-timers, single mothers, single parents, working four in the morning till eight in the morning in awful conditions for awful wages. We have part-timers throughout this country that are on food stamps, that are on subsidized housing. Some are homeless. This day and age when we have companies as profitable, they need to reward their people, and we are not going to stop till we get the contract that we deserve for our 340,000 members. And we're going to use this contract to help change the lives of people that are in this industry, non-union, just like Amazon workers right now go to work unprotected, no benefits, no wage increases, no path to a full-time career. We're going to take this contract and say, this is what you're going to get when you join the Teamsters Union. So I'm very proud of the work we've done, but we're not done yet. And UPS has less than 84 hours to get this deal done, or less than 84 hours to feel the wrath of the biggest, most powerful organization, and that is the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. I'll open up for questions. Fair. They know that we're not playing around. They know that we have tremendous unity and support throughout this country. Look, the general public loves their UPS drivers, loves their UPS employees. So the last thing they want is a blemish on their reputation. But more, most importantly, what we want, we want to leverage our power, we want to leverage their profits, and we want our people rewarded. So UPS decided, instead of giving us the last and final, to come to the table, move on their proposal, and they made some movement, but it's not enough. It is not enough. We will determine when it's enough. Great. I appreciate everybody coming out. Um, look, stay tuned. This is going to be the defining moment, not only for the Teamsters Union, but also organized labor throughout this country. Thank you very much. All right, folks. That, uh, that concludes the press conference from the Teamsters International Union uh, on today, Saturday, July the 1st, about the state of the UPS negotiations. And uh, so uh, there's a, a deadline to get a last, best, and final, um, and that deadline is <clears throat> July 5th. I believe that's what he said, 84 hours. Right, July, July 5th. Um, you know, originally they had put out June 30th as the deadline for UPS's last best final offer, but the update he was providing today, in case you missed it, is that uh, UPS did budge, and so they didn't come back with their last best and final, but they did make some movement on some areas, and so, you know, the, the negotiations committee agreed to 
give them a few more days uh, to come up with something. And so we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, like uh, President O'Brien said, the ball is in their court uh, with UPS. Yeah. And when the when the camera turned around, I didn't see very, uh, you know, Will in the chat mentioned that uh, didn't see much press. And that was kind of surprising to me as well, um, considering how much attention is on this now. And, uh, you know, I don't know what the deal was with that. But yeah, I'm a little disappointed in that as well. Um, Yeah, because I've seen more mainstream press kind of jumping on this uh, at least a little bit. So. Um, unfortunately, I think they're going to take the same tack they took with the rail uh, strike or the potential rail strike, which is going to be how could this inconvenience you, the consumer, uh, you know, which is uh, really just gross. But, um, yeah, I noticed that as well. Um, overall, um, you know, I appreciate President O'Brien doing this update both for the members and for the general public because it is important that the public – is hearing from the union and knows what's going on because public support, I think, will be important in this fight mm-hmm. and is important in this fight. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, just to respond to some other stuff in, in, in the chat, um, uh, Sapphire Dragon said, even though you know, he said something about UPS does need to give workers give their workers better. I don't think trying to bankrupt your employers is the right way to get better benefits. Um, and he also I don't think anyone's trying to, to bankrupt the employer. Yeah. Um, he also said the problem with a union like this is that it hurts everyone more than it helps anyone. If you don't like driving for UPS, drive for Amazon. Yeah, that's absurd. Uh, no, I, I'm sorry. With all due I, I respect, mean, I disagree yeah. because. Um, well, not only do you disagree, but the uh, the the facts of history disagree with the the idea that that unionization hurts everyone more than it than it helps anybody it disagrees with the idea you know and and the implication here is that is that going on strike is tantamount to uh you know destroying your employer and uh obviously there is a certain there's a certain amount of struggle and 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 kind of warfare that you could you could say that there is between uh, a union and the employer but it is obviously not in the workers interest to destroy the organization and the only way that that would happen is if the organization if the leadership the management of UPS was so obstinate as to not come to a reasonable and fair deal with the teamsters and that would not be on the teamsters that would be on the management of ups uh and and so you know the implication is that striking is bad and the historical record just doesn't bear that out uh one of the best contracts that teamsters ever got at ups came after the 1997 strike they did after a reformer won the presidency uh and and led a movement uh for for improvements on on the job and those victories are part of why it's typically better to work for ups as opposed to fedex or amazon um you know so um yeah yeah um i did want to mention we've got two callers on the line so I, i do believe we've got um uh, we've got a 714 area code first yeah, and then a 626. Yeah, 714 uh, dropped in the chat. That is Jose from the happiest place on earth, Anaheim, California. Uh, Jose, thanks for calling in. Appreciate it. Yeah, let's get Jose on the air. Good morning, gentlemen. Hope everybody's doing great. Good morning, yeah, brother. Doing you. good. So you're a, a part-timer at UPS. You're a steward. You called in last week and, and gave us some... I- 
I was a steward. I'm no longer a steward. Now yeah. I'm just a rank and file activist that, you know, gotcha. that educates the, the rank and file when they have questions or they need to know something. So I'm no longer a steward, but I am an active rank and file. Well, good deal. Good deal. Yeah. So, uh, uh, rank and file member, former steward of the Teamsters at UPS in Anaheim, part-time, uh, part-timer at UPS. You called in last week, talked about, um, some, you know, uh, some of the state of, of things. Um, and, uh, we, re- we just released a clip of that call yesterday and looks like folks really appreciated it. Folks really liked it. It's one of the most viewed videos on our channel actually right now. Uh, so, <laughs> so that one really kind of blew up and, you know, so what are some of your reactions to the press conference? Well, regarding the press conference and there's a great book out there called outside the box. Corporate Media, Globalization, and the UPS Strike, written by Professor Deepa Kumar. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. And in that book, she talks about how in the beginning of the 97 strike, you know, well, in the leading up to and the beginning of the 97 strike, there wasn't that much media coverage. You know, we had one uh, question from the press court today. You know, so it was after like that first week then, or during that first week, you know, the teams are starting getting more media publicity, you know, in, in corporate media. Cause we all know corporate media is just the lapdog of the, of the ruling class. And I guess of this individual that made the comment that we should go work for Amazon. I'm like, if I want to go work for Amazon, I'm going to go solve Amazon and I'm going to try to organize Amazon mm-hmm. on that note. And, uh, I'm glad that president O'Brien mentioned, uh, the, the plight of part-timers. Mm-hmm. Some of us are receiving government assistance. Some of us are living in, in our cars. And some of us are unfortunately on unhoused and just find shelter and a place to rest their head wherever they can that, that's peaceful. You know, so that's why myself with a bunch of other uh, rank-and-file part-timers called Teamsters Mobilize have urged and have abdicated for a $25 starting pay. And 75 cents for every year service and a 5% wage increase. We're not trying to bankrupt the company. We're just trying to provide uh, uh, stability for our fellow rank and file members. Because mm-hmm. one, one teamster, one worker living on the street is, is not right. That, that's a struggle that all labor has to, has to uh, fight. Once you find out that one, even one member, a dues paying member, is living on the street. It's unhoused. Right. That should that should be a fight for all of us to take up. So I applaud General O'Brien for for uh, talking about that. But we've had internal updates ourselves. We had one last when last Wednesday, mm-hmm. and then three weeks ago. I just wished that when giving updates to us, the membership, that be a little bit more detail with our with those updates be a little bit more transparent now last right. week we had the leaked uh, ups economic counter proposal which in fact ups later on in the week admitted it was a leak and said they came back with a better more significant offer or something like that i just wish we would have seen both we would have seen that second counter proposal from ups mm-hmm. and what was our proposal for ups when it when it comes to the economics 
Now it's the all eyes on me because it's the economic package. How much are we going to get in wages? How much are we going to get in uh, wage increase? How much are we going to get in pension contribution? How much are we going to get in health care uh, contribution? I just wish we would have seen that. We still don't know. I still don't know. All you hear is rumors, oh, they offered this, they offered that. But we, but we don't know. And at, at some point, it gets frustrating. You can't be telling us, oh, uh, June 30th is we want the, our last, best, and final offer. Then we wake up June June 30th, okay, we're going to get something because we're done. We're done just playing these games with, with UPS. And then you find out they extended it to July 5th. You're like, wait, what happened to what happened to mm. June 30th is going to be the our uh, where we're going to get the last best and final offer from UPS, right? Because when you work for UPS, when when you go through the system, right? You go, you, you know, you go as a you start as a part timer. Most of them start as a part timer, and then you go into driving, you know, your regular package car driver, or you become mm-hmm. a feeder. Once you go through that you understand the the struggle now some drivers kind of once they get their homes you know they get into the middle class some of them just forget that they were ever part-timers you know but once you go through that through that grind you understand all the harassment that you go through whether in the part-time ranks or the full-time ranks you go through the harassment you know so the public really doesn't know how much you know we go through on a daily basis Mm-hmm. But but once you go through that, you just to me you you just want to fight because you know you and especially now it's during contract season and especially after record profits after record profits after record profits and when they could have done the right thing in 2020 during COVID when 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 we had the lockdown you all UPS said was well there's a contract in place. They right. they couldn't negotiate economics. They they negotiated other things. Oh, you out here in the southwest, if you work through your vacation, you get time and a half. All part timers could use their personal vehicle to go deliver packages. But to give us a significant bump to to show that you actually appreciate us, right. no, they never did. So you know you go through those you go through that trial of being a part timer or full time whatever it may be. And and you remember 2020, you're like, dude, I'm 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 all in. You know, I'm all in now. Some of us have to save money, and probably some of us haven't saved money, and you, mm-hmm. some of us live beyond our means. But at at this crucial moment, we all need to stick together. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And I really echo your desire for more specifics. And there was somebody in the chat that, that said the exact same thing. I wish you would have given more specifics on the particular policies they're advocating for. I think it would be helpful for the general public to be aware of that. Um, and really, they tied their hands by agreeing to ground rules at the beginning. They agreed to NDAs uh, regarding the, um, you know, regarding both their proposals and the company's proposals. And so they do, at this point, uh, legally speaking, have to be somewhat vague because of the NDAs they've signed at the beginning of this contract uh, that were unnecessary. You don't have to agree to those at the beginning of, of negotiations. They're not necessary. And the employer cannot make you do them. They are not mandatory subjects of bargaining ground rules. Uh, and so you don't have to do that. Uh, that's one of the things that that Jane McAlevey really stresses is that you know you should not agree to ground rules <laughs> during negotiations, particularly ones that 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 restrict your ability to communicate with your members. It's funny she wrote a piece for the for the Nation, 
And I, I, I've read all Jane McAvaney's books, No Shortcuts, uh, Fight Like Hell. I forgot the name of the new one. <laughs> but anyway, she wrote a, a piece for uh, The Nation. Mm. And I, I was reading it. Some of it, you know, okay, I like, you know, I'm a fan. But then I was like, wait, other parts I was like, Hold on, hold on, Jane. I don't think you quite get, get the bigger picture because you, like as you mentioned, we're, we don't have to accept any ground rules. Mm-hmm. That's just voluntary. It's not mandatory right. by the NLRA or anything, right? But we we accepted an MDA, a non disclosure agreement, and that that to, that in, in UPS and Teamster world, you talk, you know, you you've heard about this term called brownout which is the lack of information being hmm. being sent out by the IBT during negotiation. This was just the lipstick on a pig when we called the MDA. Now they give us updates, but they're superficial at best. Hmm. You're like, okay, what, what was agreed upon? Okay, what are the contractual language? Because in UPS, UPS, when, they, when, you, go to, when you go to agreements and you go to the panel, they will, any ambiguity when it comes to contractual language, they will exploit it a hundred percent. And now another problem, we just mm. heard O'Brien talk about concessions. Right. Now out here in the Southwest, we're gonna have a sitting arbitrator. And I know Jane McElvaney has uh advocated for a sitting arbitrator, but when you have when when you deal with UPS, even uh strong, clear, defined contractual mm. language, they will they will manipulate the the semantics of it and they'll just twist it around, right? Now we have a sitting arbitrator. They're going to interpret that that uh, uh, contractual language, and the, what was meant by the contractual language is going to be meant is going to be uh, defined uh, something else. With there's a possibility, correct? By the sitting mm-hmm. arbitrator, right? It's it's. It's like the Supreme Court holding precedence for so long. Then you, you, he comes to an activist uh, uh, court. All what came before whoosh, gets gets done. All oh, those those courts were wrong, you know. Mm. Upholding those decisions were wrong. We've just seen it, you know. But that sitting arbitrator is a concession because UPS mm. will violate the contract. They will violate the contractual language, and and now you have a sitting arbitrator there they're just going to interpret it the way they interpret it. And we're going to just be like, what? And then two, if you're, if you're an activist, if you're a rank and file activist or, a, or, a, uh, or a member with high seniority, who's to say they won't go after you? Cause of how right. here in the Southwest, we, and many places in the country, we have dishonesty, right? You know, you're stealing company time or are you doing this? Oh, you were, you were, you were talking to blah, blah, blah for so long. Why were you over there? It, it, to, to have a sitting arbitrator is a bad idea. Yeah. Because they're, the way they're going to interpret things is going to be the, the new precedent. You know, yeah. so that, that, con- that concession, that is a concession in my book. And if yeah. we don't get $25 yeah, I... for part-timers and $55 top rate for RPCD, what they call regular package car drivers, then that's another concession. Because you're not giving us, <clears throat> you're not giving us wages that are staying above inflation and having real purchasing power. Mm. Right. 
Yeah, I, I think that that all makes a lot of sense. And 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 one other thing that you mentioned that that I just want to agree with is the concern about the continual, um, which are not they're still not material as of yet, but the the kind of going back, you know, setting a setting a line and then allowing it to be pushed back with the supplementals, not beginning national negotiations until supplementals are are completed. And actually, the Southern supplemental. Uh, has still not been ratified by the membership, as far as I can tell. Um, well, no, uh, they they'll get the the supplements will get ratified with the national master. They all okay. get ratified at the same time. So when we get our ballots, they'll say you know yes or no for the national master, yes or no for the southwest, uh, no western western region supplement, yes or no for the southwest sort and package riders, uh, yes or no for the southwest uh, utility and addendum. So it, it'll, okay. we'll, they'll they'll get it once we got the whole package. But even in the Southern Supplements, there's a lot of individuals that think it's a, just a, a a sellout contract. Yeah, yeah. That that's what that's actually that we got a we we got a, a message last week or, or the week before from from a teamster in Texas who may be on the line now, and and we'll go ahead and and let you go here soon. We've got three others on the line. Um, uh, that that were concerned about the Southern Supplement, so we'll see what they have to say. Uh, appreciate your time, Jose. Uh, good luck, solidarity, and um, I'll be on the picket line with y'all. Uh, not in Anaheim, but in Huntsville when you if when and if you go on strike. All thanks, brother. Yep, thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, let's go ahead. the 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 one that called in right after Jose was the six two six. Is that right? That's right. Let's get uh, our 626 on the air. All right. 626, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, my name is Luis. Luis, yeah, you call uh you you sent us a message uh yesterday about a, a non-teamster uh or a non-UPS story. Um let give us a give us a rundown of that really quick um because we do have some other callers on the line and we want to get to that but but the situation that you were talking about is uh, seems important and and not good talk to us about it yeah okay um we actually um we joined the teamsters um in mm. may and um and we brought the teamsters in in our in our facility i work for smart final and it's a it's a um grocery grocery store here in california with uh over 250 stores. Uh, I've worked there for 23 years, and they got bought out by a Mexican company, Chidrawi, um, also known as Bodega Latina. And now they um, they uh, they they gave us a letter saying that we're no longer employed as of 2024. We're terminated. Um, wow. So we just want to bring some some light to to our our story, and um, and because they're retaliating on us going Teamsters. So we, we went with uh, Teamsters Local 630 in Los Angeles, and um, the company just retaliated on us. And he, they don't care how many years of service we've had. Uh, they're cutting our pensions. They're cutting our everything. Just We're basically terminated as of are, 2024. Are, are they closing the facility or terminating everybody that's that's in the bargaining unit and replacing y'all? Um, no, we're, they're, they're replacing us. They, they're going to wow. move. They say they're going to move to a different city, but um, as, as us in our facility, we're terminated. Also, another facility in Riverside. So we're mm -hmm. in, we're in the city of Commerce, 
and also the facility in, in Riverside, California is also being shut down. So it's over 600 employees that they're they're terminating, and but they come out to the media saying they're hiring so many employees, mm. but that's all false. Wow. Uh and and how is uh how are y'all responding with with the union what what's the ha, has there been much um you know fight back or um any hope coming from uh coming from that side okay so the union's helping us out a bunch they're using every resource they can we actually mm-hmm. did two picketings uh on Wednesday and Thursday in front of the stores uh that was our first move um we're waiting on the teamsters to let us know what else we got to do but um, just basically retaliation for going to union on them and um, not being able to do what they want to do. Wow. Man, I really hate to hear that. And uh, definitely sending send all of our love and solidarity to y'all and uh, keep us posted on this. Like, um, you know, I, I'm not familiar with this, this grocery store. I haven't seen one in our area. Um, but yeah, I, this... This is one like we ought to boycott. There's 239 in California, Nevada, and Arizona, also in Mexico. But it's just, uh, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a big corporate giant um, coming over from, from Mexico and uh, destroying American jobs, basically. Yeah. Right. Right. Wow. That, that's terrible. Appreciate you, appreciate you letting us know that. Yeah. Luis. And please Thank do you. keep us posted on yeah. this campaign and let us know how things are going. And we are behind the, the UPS drivers as, as well, you know. We, we're Teamsters, so we're supporting them, their cause as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Brad. Thank you. Appreciate for, it. Uh, uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, we've got two other callers on the line. Um, if anybody else wants to get in the queue, the phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. Uh, let's go ahead and get the next one on the air. Sure thing, sure thing. Um, yeah, that that's a wild story uh, about this grocery store, and that's something like, and I, you know, we've talked about boycotts before, and like, you know, it can be hit and miss with effectiveness and all that, but this that seems like one that the labor movement could could target with a boycott. Yeah, um, no doubt. And I mean, Free American Twenty Twenty in the chat says, you know, the caller gave the employer much of his adult life. It sells, and then they want to throw the workers to the curb. I mean, that's absolutely true. And we've yeah, seen that 23 with uh, years of service. Yeah. Mm. And, and we saw this with, um, you know, the paper mill that closed in J, uh, you know, that, uh, 18, 1880s was the beginning of paper production in May, uh, in, in J Maine. And they just closed up. There's no more paper being produced in J anymore. Um, and there, you know, uh, folks that I talked to up there that, between all of their family that's just the family that's alive today they have given 379 years to uh uh to to paper production in jay and it's all gone uh very very sad uh very sad story terrible uh a terrible story coming out of out of california uh certainly all solidarity to them and, and wish them the best yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, we've got a 918 caller coming up next here. Let me get 918 on the line. 918, you're on the air. Appreciate you holding. Letting us, let us know who you are and uh, where you're calling from. I'm a Dallas-based Teamster out of uh, uh, Mesquite, and I have a lot of concerns about the uh, the Southern Supplement contract for UPS. 
that's why I'm calling. I actually contacted the station uh, like a week ago to talk about this. Can you all hear me okay? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can. Adam, would you care to turn him up a little I've bit got it. Me? Yeah, I've got it cranked up as, as high as I can, gotcha. unfortunately. All right. Yeah, I can I can still hear him. It's just a little low. Um, it, you said you're from Dallas. Uh, do you, um, you're a Dallas-based Teamster with UPS. And, and yeah, uh, you did. Um, i I gotten a couple messages about the Southern Supplement and concerns about it. So what what are some of the what are some of the worries about about the Southern Supplement right now? So for me, my biggest worry is definitely uh, this new change to how they are going to handle no call, no show uh, discipline, where basically three days of the company declaring you no call, no show is now a cardinal infraction. You come back, they'll walk you out, they'll say you're fired. The union will have to fight for you at panel, or I guess there's, we're going to have a new arbitrator too, it sounds like. So we're gonna, it's going to go through an arbitration process, which nobody knows what that's going to be like uh and this isn't how it used to work so this is a definite concession what we used to have is called a 48-hour letter where if the company claims you to be no call no show they will send a letter to your home to tell you to show back up to work to give you Mm. notice give you time to call your business agent if there's an emergency or something going on or if they're lying or whatever um, now you don't have any of that. Now it's just three days they declare you no call and you're gone. I recognize a lot of jobs are like that. Even a lot of our UPS regional contracts have language like that. In mm. the documents that we've received so far, we don't have anything for emergencies saying that like, oh, if it's your three days no call and you it's a, it's a legitimate emergency, they'll consider it. I haven't seen anything like that. And it's... Uh, uh, I, I've had personal experience where just countless, countless, countless times I've had supervisors at UPS. They're the most dishonest people that will uh, uh, file your, 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 your times in incorrectly or, or file a call in as a no call because they're angry at you. Earlier this year, I had COVID. I had Mm. to take two weeks off for my doctor. And uh, the first week they, they filed all that as call ins, normal, whatever. The second week was fall, all no call, no shows from Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just, you know, the, the company is just blatantly dishonest. And right. we're giving them more power on this, this non-concessionary contract is, is ridiculous to me. I also have other issues. We, we get, you know, Sean O'Brien on that, that call mentioned uh, how we, we work through this pandemic. You know, we don't have that many days off in our contract the the one thing we get for this pretty big concession is we get our a one extra week of vacation instead of going at 10 years it's going to be at nine years we'll get three mm. weeks of vacation no increase in, in option days which are like our sick days uh nothing nothing substantial to make it so that management can discipline us less for being you know for having a no call or for for for, for having an option day you know uh which is ridiculous to me, you know, like the, right. throughout the entire pandemic management was constantly giving people with COVID discipline letters saying they needed to show up back to work, you know, they, that they're, you know, whatever. Um, and, and, you know, we, we worked through all of that and now we're, we're getting very, very little and being told this is a life changing contract. I don't really want to make this a referendum on the leadership. I'm, I'm not happy with this contract, but I'm, I, 
I really just have to get the word out and advocate everybody vote no. I also also am with Teamsters Mobilize. I, uh, if you're a part-timer, please look us up and get involved. We, we, you know, every part-timer knows with how few hours they give us. We need a $25 minimum wage mm. to, to make our lives, like, uh, you know, functional practically because, you know, they rely on our labor and we keep working here for, for benefits and health care and all that stuff. But, like, they, they, they barely give you enough to keep coming back into work. Um, and there's definitely a few other issues on the, the Southern Supplement I don't like, uh, but some of it's vague. They, they haven't given us the full language yet, like, uh, like Jose was saying. Uh, they've given us a four-page uh, document stating, like, real briefly all the changes, which I speculate was initially leaked, honestly. Um, right. Uh, I, I, it has been officially shared by my local on their Instagram, on, like, an Instagram story that disappeared. Um, which is interesting. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, I guess the situation I have. Yeah. And, and somebody else and, and may, and you may be in conversation with this person, but they, they also mentioned the, the issues with the no call, no show, the, the, the worry about that. And that this person had had management, um, routinely code her absences as no call, no shows when that was not the case. And, and, you know, no doubt, uh, if this does make it into the contract, um, in cases where management incorrectly codes an absence, you'd probably able to win that grievance um, and probably be able to win it reasonably easily. But the issue is that that's going to create a lot more work for the stewards, and it's also going to create hardship for the for the member who has to go through this. Right? You know, I mean, even if ultimately you do get back pay. If it takes you uh, a month, two weeks, two months, three months before you get paid while this grievance is working out, that can put a lot of people in a lot of trouble, right? That can put you in a hole that and, and it's hard to dig out of. It, sorry, if, if you're if you're go, no call, no showing, or if they're claiming you are because you're sick, like I had COVID, what if you need your medical or your medical insurance right then? You know, what if you're in a situation? where you just you can't afford to have your medical insurance just drop off a cliff for you and that's exactly what they're going to mm. do that's that's you know that's a real fear you know if you're a part-timer like me maybe the wages aren't going to put you under because you probably have support other elsewhere in your life but the the, the healthcare is killer yeah yeah, absolutely. An- another thing this person uh mentioned and I'm wondering if if you're having some of these concerns as well, um, is that the uh, that y'all are going to be giving now the company two weeks to correct payment errors instead of the current two days? Yeah, that's what the document and what our principal officer has seemed to indicate to us. Uh, I have heard from other Teamsters that that seems to be uh, an error that that the, 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 they might actually have have reached an agreement where in two weeks there will be additional penalties on the company. But from what I've seen and read and heard from my, my principal officer, that is not the case. They have, they'll have two weeks before they actually have to get it corrected and there'll be no penalty and pay in that time, which is ridiculous because when, you know, they'll, they'll tell you, Oh, don't worry, we'll get it fixed. But if you, if you really grasp them and you get to like the top, level supervisor for a building or whatever they can just punch in a few numbers on a computer 
they'll get you a check in like literally like two days. They, they yeah. are literally capable of doing that at any point. And they're telling us they have this new two weeks thing because they have a whole new payroll system that UPS is rolling out that they're so confident in um, that, that they'll never have like a payroll error again is basically what they're saying. The company's saying, which is fine, but then why are we rolling back our protections? Even if, even if they're, the, 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 the union selling it as, oh, well, we'll have additional penalty pay, but penalty pay doesn't stop you from being evicted in the moment, you know? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, a- a- absolutely. And, and you know, I could, I could imagine a scenario where you give the company that, and, and, but you get something that's worth it in return. You know, I, I could potentially see, like, okay, if we change the initial penalty from two days to two weeks, then, you know, the penalties like double or triple or something like that. Or, or, you know, there's a significant, you know, I could, I can imagine a way that this makes sense, but certainly in a vacuum, giving the company 12 more days to fix payment errors is just not acceptable. Right. Um, something, something else that they mentioned is um, the national, this is from this, this message, the national looks like it's going to keep cameras in the car. We are going to be assured that they are deactivated, which like if they I mean cameras that are deactivated, why not if they're not activated, then just don't have them in the car, right? If they're not operable. Uh, so that's bizarre to me. Uh, but there's no word about the audio, meaning the company could collect private conversations between members and stewards about their cases, or you know, audio just generally that I don't want my freaking boss to have. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, an, it's a complete invasion of privacy. I, it, I think it's a real, real big concern. You know, if they, if we could get assurances that the the camera lens has been shattered by a screwdriver and <laughs> the the microphone was cut off with scissors or something, yeah, and, and whatever other data they wanted to keep, sure, maybe, but just oh, the can we we've the, the what we've been told by our leadership is that they will be. Uh, assured and like given like like the, the union will be proved to that the cameras are off which mm. you know a camera that's turned off just implies you can just turn it back on you know i yeah. don't i don't really trust that <laughs> yeah no i wouldn't either that's sketchy as hell uh sketchy as hell i wouldn't trust it uh very concerning um is there anything else that that you wanted to talk about as far as the southern or the national uh supplement uh there's something that's like I feel like it's on the the tip of my tongue. My biggest issue is, is definitely part time pay. Part timers need to get paid more. I've been I've been working here since 2018. I started at 10:35, which is a joke for the kind of labor. This is the hardest job I've ever had, and I've had jobs that were were very hard with that paid quite a bit. And this is very hard and, and paid almost nothing. After right. five years of service, I'm at like 18 dollars almost, which is okay but you know this isn't good enough to live off of you know they they, they lie to you about what you, hours you can expect they lie to you about what your start times will be to, so you can't really plan around what your your thing is you know in the south we get we find out about our start time when we go home from work like mm. next, you know we'll find out about it for the following day that's crazy so you know part part-timers need a living wage that's crazy yeah, that's insane. Definitely need need more, uh, uh, certainly more pay, but also, you know, I think more stability. I had I, I did not realize that about how how unstable part timers uh, uh, um, work weeks were. That's like 
That's like restaurant industry scheduling, which is not acceptable, but that's like what you expect in the restaurant industry. You don't expect to work for UPS and not know what the hell you're doing tomorrow, right? That's bizarre. It, it, it feels so dishonest to me, if I could take one more second. Like I, when I got hired, it was painted on the wall that, that for the HR building, that the start time, you know, they had all the different shifts painted to the wall. Like it was a foundation of the institution. And it was like 10 to 4, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. was when I could expect my shift to be. My shift almost never starts at 10 a.m. You know, usually on Monday, it starts at 11 in these hot summers. And then by Tuesday, they they sit at 12 and then 12, 15. They'll, they do whatever they want with the start times. Hmm. And, uh, you know, when you get off, then the, they, they make it so that all the, the, the traffic's crazy. And what's, what's absurd about this is that the feeder drivers get to the building at the same time every day. So there's no reason for them to, to do that. It's it's a pure tactic, I'm sure, to to stress out the workers and get them to to get off the clock and not demand their guaranteed hours. Frankly, right. All right. Well, I, I appreciate the call. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sorry for taking so much time. No, I appreciate it. It was yeah, it was absolutely. It was good information. Uh, we've got uh, two more in the queue. Uh, let's bring on Adam, the 352 area code caller. Yeah, we've had them waiting quite a while. 352. All right, let me get them going here. Uh, and, you know, for folks just jumping in, uh, we got several people that are that are watching us live right now. 100 folks watching, 27 thumbs up. Let's. Uh, those are rookie numbers. Let's get those up. And um, we have we've had three Teamsters in a row call in uh, two working for UPS and one working for Smart and Final, if I remember right, about a um, uh, that's a grocery store chain that was purchased by a Mexican company that is now firing the newly unionized with the Teamsters workforce of 600-some-odd people, including people who have been with the company for 23 years. I mean, just I mean, it's amazing to think about spending, like somebody else in the chat said, uh, 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 giving, selling 23 years of your life. I mean, for most people, for the majority of people walking around, 23 years of the, is the majority of your life to a company and then they're just going to cut you loose. Uh, that's insane. Of your adult life, yeah. And uh, Oh, the majority of your life, period. 23 years is like, <laughs> you know, 90% of my life. Uh, it would be a much lower percentage of your life, Adam, but still. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and maybe this is a good time just to remind folks that uh, labor creates all wealth. And um, that vast majority of people in this country and on this planet have nothing to sell but their labor. And that's how we survive is by doing so. And we spend most of our waking time at yep. work. So with that preamble out of the way, let's get 352 on the air. All right, 352, you are on the air. Let us know who you are and where you're calling from. Uh, hello? Uh, hi. Can you guys hear me? Yep. We can, yeah. Sound great. Welcome. Right on. Uh, my name is Brandon, and I'm from Cincinnati. Brandon from Cincinnati. I uh, think I saw you in the chat. Are you also a UPS teamster? Uh, no, sir. Uh, but I no, no. I actually work for Amazon. Okay. Well, uh, great to hear from you. Yeah. Uh, so, what, what's on your mind? Uh, well, first, I just wanted to say uh, I have a great, great channel. Love you guys' show. Thank um, you. I've 
founded uh, just a few months ago. And uh, yeah, there's there's not a whole lot like it on YouTube, really. And uh, it's it's just really cool and the radio aspect and all that stuff. Uh, Thank yeah. you. And, uh, definitely, I love I love you guys' coverage and your guest today was awesome. And yeah, well, anyways, I'm sorry, but uh, the reason why I'm calling in today is uh, because so well, so I I work at Amazon uh, at the uh, Kentucky Airport, mm. and uh, well, we're trying to. Uh, I'm trying to get a union in there and uh we're doing it uh under the banner of ALU. Um mm-hmm. not sure folks have heard about uh any of that. I have actually. Um I have uh I have seen a little bit of it on Twitter. Um some uh stuff about a Kentucky uh some some workers at an Amazon facility in Kentucky uh working to unionize under ALU with uh mixed success is my understanding. And I should add just for the audience ALU is the Amazon ah, labor yes. union that is the independent union that uh was successful in organizing a Staten Island warehouse. Uh, I guess that was last year now. Um, and so uh, Chris Smalls is, my understanding, still the president of the ALU. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I just want to put that out there for the audience. And uh, Brandon, yeah, really, uh, yeah, tell us tell us about that. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's correct. Um, and, yeah, so we're, we're trying to organize under their banner. And th- things are going pr- pretty well. Um, you know, uh, I just got to say, so I, I'm from Cincinnati, and uh, but I, I grew up in the South. Mm. And uh, I, honestly, I had never worked for a place that had a union or mm. really tried to successfully unionize. And uh, I, yeah, th- this whole situation is, is really new to me, but it's really inspiring. And uh, I think it's going really well. I, I personally signed up about a dozen people. Wow. And, uh, and, and yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, I, it's, it's um, I think maybe people have heard about um, what's happening literally right across the street from us. Uh, we, we have a, a DHL facility right across the street. And uh, they, uh, half of their folks just successfully voted to uh, unionize uh, with the Teamsters. And uh, so that's, that's been a really uh, inspiring thing for us, too. And I just, if people didn't know about that, I just wanted to call in and bring awareness to, to what's going on there uh, in northern Kentucky and li- literally right across the street from each other. We're, we're all, we're trying to unionize there. So That's so cool. What, what, what's the name of the company again? No, the, yeah, the one that unionized across the street from you. Mm. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah, another delivery service, yeah. uh, another part of the delivery industry. Interesting, yeah, that's mm. that's really exciting. So y'all, so okay, we've got the Teamsters organizing DHL across the street, and y'all have an active ca- campaign going. Um, Sounds like it's feeling good. It sounds like you. It sounds like you're 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 feeling some energy from it and the good vibes from it. And uh, I really love to hear that because you know just having conversations with fellow workers and and talking mm. about our lives and yeah, you know our experiences at work and how we can come together and how when we do come together we can do great and amazing things. Uh, yeah, there's there's something very powerful in that, and so I want to thank yeah. you for what you're doing. Yeah, well, check this out, Adam, and this is really kind of the detriment of not having the last week in Southern Labor segment anymore. Maybe we, we ought to 
put some time into trying to revamp that. But uh, here's a press release from the Teamsters on uh, DHL Express workers join Teamsters. Uh, this was put out on 28 April of this year. The International Brotherhood of Team- Teamsters scored a massive organizing victory for more than, get this, 1,100 DHL Express workers at the Cincinnati Northern Kentucky International Airport. Uh, that's wild. How did I not see that? 1,100 workers in basically the South uh, joining the Teamsters. That's wild. I can't believe that I didn't see that. Um, Rampant tug workers voted to join the Teamsters Local 100 in Cincinnati after a year-long campaign for representation. Uh, The victory is a testament to what can be achieved when workers are united for a better future, said Bill Hamilton, director of the Teamsters Express Division. Uh, negotiations will begin for a first Teamster contract for DHL uh, CVG workers following certification of the election. Uh, da, da, da. Yeah, wild stuff. Thank you for that, uh, uh, Brandon. I appreciate that. I had no idea. No, no problem. And it's just something, like I said, I, w- I just want to bring awareness to it because I, I feel like, right, there, we've gotten a little bit of coverage. There's been like a, a, a more perfect union uh, video I saw mm-hmm. t- talking about the DHL workers and what they've been going through. And I just got to say, it's the conditions that those folks have been working under a lot harsher than what we have to work under uh, right really? across the street. It, wow. Yeah, it's crazy. And that's really what they organized uh, under, what were the conditions. And they, they won overwhelmingly to their vote, if you look at that. So, um, and, yeah, and I just want to say thank you to you guys and uh, and solidarity with the uh, the Teamsters uh uh, uh ups workers about to go on strike here so yeah absolutely uh thanks for calling in brandon from ohio yeah uh, appreciate really. it and feel free to call in anytime with updates on uh on your campaign in the kentucky amazon right. yeah really appreciate it um love to hear that and appreciate the kind words about the program yeah mm-hmm. I, I recognize you uh from from the chat uh and it's it's great that there are new folks who are getting turned on to the Valley Labor Report. I, I hope that folks find something valuable. I know we got some new viewers and listeners this morning. And, uh, you know, this is what we do. We talk about working people mm-hmm. and the struggles of working people. We talk about how we can revitalize the labor movement here, particularly in the South. Um, and, you know, we talk about news and politics from a working class perspective. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, welcome to everyone who is tuning in this morning and appreciate all the calls, all the engagement yeah. in the chat. Uh, sounds like we've had a very lively chat. Uh, yeah, it does look very um, lively. I want to <laughs> I want to take uh, respond to a little bit of that. But but that is a good that's a good uh, uh, a good idea, Adam. While we've got some maybe more people that are listening to us, we can just do, uh, you know, a quick introduction and, and, and let folks know who we are. Uh, you know, uh, Adam and I are both union members here in Alabama. Um, and we have a union radio program that we also stream to what you're watching, where you're watching us now, YouTube and Facebook. Um, we are on FM radio on three stations across the South, two in Alabama, one in Louisiana, uh, always open to more. And we, uh, like, like Adam said, we try to cover the news from a working class union perspective. Uh, we talk to, uh, we have guests ranging from rank and file union members to, uh, to workers that are in non-union workplaces, talking about their working conditions, talking about trying to make them better. Uh, we have staff organizers from unions, um, authors, activists, researchers, um, and 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 organizers, people from uh, 
a lot most you know we have we certainly have a, a primary focus on the south but we do have people come on uh, that, we, that we bring on from across the country. Um, today, earlier in the program, we spoke to Lee Harris from the American Prospect, which is a very good magazine, about the construction of a semiconductor plant in Arizona that has really been mired with a lot of issues. Um, and even though uh, the Biden administration is touting this plant as uh, kind of the example that they want to follow, uh, but this is it's not it's not good <laughs> where, uh, you know, millions, billions of, of taxpayer dollars are going towards the construction of this facility, subsidizing TSMC, which is the company that's building it. Um, and there have been multiple deaths on the construction site. They are using non-union labor. Uh, they are currently seeking help from the United States government to bring in more migrant workers, even though they have not even tried to engage uh, the trade unions to uh, to tap that resource of American labor of union labor, uh, very very bad very bad <laughs> very bad stuff going over going on over there in Arizona and it's and it's not a good sign that the Biden administration is pushing that so we uh, we talked to Lee Harris earlier in the program you can rewind and, and check that interview out and and you know uh, uh, def definitely uh, check out our YouTube channel we've got several you know we've got like thou literally thousands of videos um, uh, covering a lot of topics so I right. uh, appreciate everybody yeah yeah and uh, just for folks again who are new uh, most of the interviews with guests that we have we do clip as their own mm -hmm. YouTube videos and so and you we're can gonna check be clipping out. all these calls as well too. Uh, so yeah definitely check that out we've had some great guests this summer uh, mm -hmm. we've had some we've had candidates uh we had uh you know political or, or a presidential candidate on earlier this summer we had the great adolph reed jr on mm. uh and also just want to shout out uh our shop talk series that we do on thursdays it is online only mm -hmm. um and so it's on youtube and facebook um and podcast as well uh all of our stuff is available as podcast and so on shop talk it's less newsy it's more history and mm -hmm. training and education you know, yeah. all with a labor focus. And so we talk about, you know, how to organize. We talk about how to get involved as a member. We talk about uh, what happened this month in labor history. Uh, those are the, some, some of the things we talk about. Uh, this past week, I spoke with Ellen David Friedman from Labor Notes. Mm. Uh, I recommend y'all check that out. That actually is very relevant to the conversations we've been yeah. having today because we talked about, you know, what to do when your union breaks your heart. Uh, she does a very popular training with Labor Notes about that. Uh, and so, yeah, check out uh, last this past week's Shop Talk, uh, especially you Teamsters who are having some, like, mixed feelings right now. Uh, you know, I, I definitely am sensitive to that, and I'm glad we've heard some rank-and-file perspectives. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's exciting that reformers have, have won the presidency and, and won many offices within the union, but obviously you can't just elect some the right folks and everything's going to work out okay. It doesn't work inside our unions. It doesn't work inside our city councils or school boards or, you know, any level of mm -hmm. government. That's just not the way it works, right? And so, um, you know, it, it's good to have these nuanced discussions today and really appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got one more caller. Oh, so sorry about that. Uh, I didn't realize we still had a caller. Yep. So let's get you on the air. All right, three, two, three, you're on the air. Hey guys, this is Will um, from Teamsters Local 396. Hey Will. Will, thanks for calling in. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, 
I just want to say that, uh, that your show is one of the most important shows that I found on the internet. And the, uh, you guys highlighting what's going on in the South is one of the most important projects for labor to have. So shout out to you guys and cheers for that. And, um, thank you. Also cheers for you, um, having this platform and letting us speak. Right. Um, I heard a lot of teamsters, you know, we're, we're, we're actually, you know, workers talking to each other today. So that is that's awesome. Right. You know, that's yeah. number one. Yeah. And, um, I just want to tell that guy, um, that called in earlier that I just literally lived down the street from the commerce warehouse. Uh, mm-hmm. for Smart and Final, and I will be not, I, I have a Smart and Final that just opened up in in my town, and um, one of the clerks there is trying to organize the store, mm-hmm. and um, so so we'll see what happens with that, and I talk to her all the time, and we're in contact with each other, maybe, uh, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what to do, or to how to point her into the direction of 630, but we'll see what we can do now that I heard this story, because, you know, what they're, what they're doing to these, um, what they did to these teamsters is very egregious, and I find it very disgusting. You know, yes, it's just absolutely, a really disgusting story. I'm serious. I'm, I'm not going to shop there, and um, I'm going to tell my family members not to shop there anymore. And um, I don't understand too why, you know, what happened to an injury injury to one is an injury to all, right? Mm. Um, we should have more. You know, the teamsters as a whole, you know, should be mobilizing against stuff like this. You know, we should be out there picketing these stores. You know what I mean? But we're not. I know we're all busy. Right. Mm-hmm. We have campaigns all over the place. We have our our contract campaign right now and we have the Amazon workers, you know, and shout out to all the Teamsters that are holding it down throughout California. I think there's three three warehouses now that are on ULP strikes. Mm-hmm. So shout out to all those people. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, we need to get more active and more militant, you know, across the board. But so anyways, yeah, I want to I want to go back to the contract. And um, I just want to echo what Jose said and what you guys were talking about and saying, you know, we need more transparency in this contract. You know, we want to know what the, what the economic proposals are from our, our side. You know, we don't know what's, we don't know what it is. Right. So I think, I think that's a problem. And I think we should work, you know, as, as a whole, as, you know, as activists to reform that, you know, that these non-disclosure agreements, I think that's, you know, that's not right. Cause it keeps us in the dark and it creates, you know, division, you know, and it, and it's just not, it's just not helpful. Right. So because that's, what, that's number one. Yeah. I, and I was just going to add there to your point that when there's an absence of information, your mind wanders yeah. and your mind sometimes yeah. takes you to bad places. And so people, uh, that's how rumors get going. That's how misinformation gets going. That's how, you know, bad feelings start developing and festering sometimes even before there's even a reason necessarily, right. you know, but but that's that's the problem there because ultimately as the union your power comes from your membership mm-hmm. and so if the membership is not uh in the loop you know you're you're ultimately you're you're weakening your own power and so uh you know i understand why uh you know union leaders sometimes take that approach but i really i you know i i think they're missing the boat there because your rank and file membership when engaged and educated is the most powerful force you have. Yeah, and and somebody mentioned uh, Jane McAlevey's new book about uh, about bargaining strategies. Um, at some point this summer, I think I'd like to bring her on the show to talk about yeah, that, that because would, that would be interesting. There's some really good. Um, I, it seems to me there's some really good advice in there, uh, and and it makes a lot of intuitive sense. Um, you know, just just being open with folks. You know, our our our, our members and our um, brothers and sisters in our union. Uh, we are adults. 
you know, sometimes we're going to disagree about uh, about this or that or the other thing in the contract. We may disagree about the importance of a certain clause, um, but but I do think that that uh, free and open debate about those things is going to be better and healthier for the union than uh, than than not. So. Yep, I I agree. I agree. Uh, I think uh, open open uh, bargaining is uh, the great McAlevey says right in her book is is the way to go. But um, yeah, I just want to real quick before um, I let you guys go. Um, there was a story coming out of Texas, right? And um, it was an Amazon worker that literally was on a porch and he was gonna um, pass out from the heat. So this is a big issue. I mean, and it's just not it's just not Amazon drivers. It's UPS drivers, right? Right. I, I suffer from heat illness and it knocked me out for two months and it wasn't, it wasn't a good feeling, you know, and um, you know, the pandemic as well, it's really hit our bodies. That's another thing nobody's yeah. talking about, right? The effects of the pandemic on people, right? And this country did a bad job of mm -hmm. diagnosing people if they, if they had COVID or not, you know, we don't, a lot of people don't know that they caught the disease, you know, and, right. but you know, they're still working in these conditions, right? It attacks your brain. It attacks your cardiovascular system, right? And you're out there working in 100 degrees, and especially in the truck where it could reach up to 150 degrees in the back. I mean, that's a problem. You know, yeah. we need to negotiate our contracts and put more health and um, safety in, inside of them, you know? And I'm hoping the Teamsters, you know, are, are you know, once we get, take a look at the contract and it's released to us that those, those um, health and safety issues are addressed. But yeah, this is that's a big concern for me um, because in Southern California it gets super hot. I know in the South too it gets super hot. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, we need more than just like like uh, a couple 15 minute breaks and a lunch sometimes because we're out there for 10 hours, you know, or 12 hours. You know what I mean? In the heat, so that's a big huge issue for me. Um, and those are some of the things that we're struggling with right now. You know what I mean? And not to mention that climate change and global warming is changing the world in the way you know, we, we're, we're going to do business in the future. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, um, having air conditioning in the trucks is, is a good step forward. But like, you know, we said before, I mean, UPS is going to drag its feet um, and, and replacing the trucks. I've seen it before. I'm driving a truck right now. It's probably like 10, 15 years old. You know what I mean? And they mm -hmm. just put a fan up there that blows hot air at me all day long. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's not really going to be, be a much of a help, you know, until we get right. those ACs in, the, in there. And, um, Though, yeah, so that's a big issue for me. I mean, also, like Jose was talking about earlier, um, cardinal sin language, that's a, big sin, that's a big issue for me, especially related to the heat, right? I mean, right. once you exhausted your two 15-minute breaks and it's 115 degrees out there, yeah. and you're like, you're, you feel dizzy and your mouth is dry, and you pull over and go to the store, get yourself a bottle of water or some Gatorades or whatever, the manager is going to see right there. Hey, you know, why were you, mm. why, what, what's this? Why were you there for five minutes? What's going on? Right. You know, and not to mention, not to mention guys, the, 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 um, the amount of harassment that this company inflicts on its workforce is unreal, unbelievable, right? With the camera, uh, the invasive technology they have in there, you know, they know if your seatbelts on or off, they know how many times you open and close your bulkhead door. They know, mm. you know, uh, you know, every, they know everything, right? And um, I think I think that, you know, this technology, I mean, AI is, is hitting everybody. Right. And I just got hit with the AI infraction myself at work. Right. And it was a ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous infraction that I, that the manager told me. Right. Um, you know, came, uh, confronted me about um, I, I was going on to, you know, driving down the street and I'm trained as a professional driver. I'm trained 
to stop before um, a stale green, what they call a stale green light. Right. So I, you know, was it the smoothest braking I ever did? Probably not. But was it a hard break? No, it wasn't. But mm-hmm. the AI thought it was, and so mm-hmm. there I am on report. And guess what? I'm in. I'm, you know, I'm in the. I'm, I, I don't know if we could say this, but I'm on the shit list. Yeah. You know, the next day. You know what I mean? Right. That's the kind of stuff that UPSers face on a daily basis. You know, not to mention produ- unfair production standards. Right? Some of us are going out with 200 deliveries in our trucks. With 150, you know, 150 degrees in the back of the truck. And not to mention some of those packages, I mean, they're just not like little one-pound bags that you get from Macy's. Right. We're delivering refrigerators. I've delivered refrigerators. I've delivered whole beds. You know, the bed frame probably weighs like 100 pounds. I mean, these are the issues that UPS workers face on a daily basis, you know. And like I said, the stealing time stuff when we need to pull over and take a, like, after we exhausted all our breaks after a 10, 12-hour day needs to be addressed. You know, mm-hmm. we, I mean, it just it just has to. And like also one last thing with this Cardinal Sin stuff, what's to keep UPS from firing um, uh, activists like myself mm-hmm. or Jose or anybody else? Right. You know, because, you know, we're just trying to exercise our human right and dignity to get a drink of water or whatever. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I mean, it's yeah, those are things that we need to look at in this contract that are very important. So, you know, hey, guys, I really appreciate your time. I got I got to get out of here. I got something to do right now, you know, and and um, I really appreciate you guys and what you guys are doing. Really much love for the show, man. Thank you so yeah, much, brother. brother. Appreciate it, and thanks for hanging on the line. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you. All right, talk soon. Yeah, I uh, really appreciate that. And, um, yeah, the heat is such an issue. Um, as someone who was working in the heat yeah. this week— yeah, um, me too. I was my and you know you were having to work outside, but I had to. My AC wasn't working great, and it got up to eighty degrees in my house, and I was sweating, writing up a grievance yesterday. Well, boo fucking who for you? And um, <laughs> uh, it was a little bit higher than eighty outside yesterday. It was a we had a heat advisory uh, here in the Tennessee Valley um, yesterday, and I believe other days this week. Uh, I know I was out with my IATSE 900 sisters and brothers on Wednesday and Friday. We were working at the amphitheater that's outside, right? And so uh, it was really hot, very hot. And, um, you know, it, it was hard to stay hydrated, hard to just stay okay. And, you know, we had to look out for one another. But um, the heat is a real big deal and that's something that is you know becoming a bigger deal every year it seems like and so um you mentioned to me off air you know uh, heat penalties in the contract uh that's something else that i think you know labor has to really be talking about is how do we protect our members from this massive heat and what can we do to uh you know disincentivize employers from putting us at risk uh when it comes to the heat so you know, I, I think that's an important discussion as well. So, yeah, I've loved the calls. Uh, thanks, Will, Jose, uh, Brandon, everybody who called in. Uh, really appreciate y'all doing that. Uh, it was great to hear some rank and file perspectives about what's going on. Because, I mean, you can you can pick up a piece here and there from the media or, you know, from leadership. Um, but, you know, we, we tuned into the press conference. And, of course, there was a lot that, you know, President O'Brien didn't get into, obviously. So uh, it's been great to hear some of these details. And I, I'm sure uh, folks listening have, have also probably appreciated 
getting some inside accounts of this this Teamsters UPS struggle. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, we have we've run through the queue of calls, um, but the the phone line is still open eight four four eight nine nine eight eight five seven. If anybody does want to call in, uh, particularly you know, uh, of course during this time, love to hear from Teamsters. Um, but, but we do have a, we, we had a few, well, we had several actually stories, uh, that we wanted to get to that, that we haven't gotten to yet. Uh, so let's start getting to some of them. We're obviously not going to get to all of them, but, uh, this one's going to be a quick one. Um, the U S department of labor yesterday on 30 June announced a proposal by its mind safety and health administration to amend current federal standards to protect the nation's minors from health hazards related to exposure to respirate to respirable crystalline silica or silica dust. Uh, the proposed rule change will ensure miners have at least the same level of protections as workers in other industries. Uh, this is important because as as others, but, but most recently and, and relevantly to us, a uh, friend of the show, Kim Kelly, did a very deep investigation for In These Times. I could not recommend more reading her piece in In These Times. Um, I very rarely cry when I read uh, uh, and I did when I read this piece. Um, uh, you know, some mitigating circumstances could be that I was running on two hours of sleep and on a 5 a.m. flight. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, but still, I, I cried. It was very, I mean, it really disgusting what uh, the coal industry is putting miners through. And the long and short of it is that black lung is on the rise after uh, really declining through the second half of the 20th century to uh, uh, very significantly. And and in the since 2000 or so, it has continued to rise until now more than one in eight miners who have been working in the industry for more than 20 years have black lung. One in eight. We're back up to where we were in the middle of the 20th century, if I'm remembering right. Uh, I mean, really a lot of backtracking. Um, some of the differences with the silica dust is like silica dust didn't used to be an issue. Apparently, um, it was primarily coal dust that was, um, creating black lung. And so all of the rules and regulations were kind of really surrounding coal dust. And as the coal veins have been, um, extracted, they have to mine, uh, deeper and wider to get what is left of the coal in these veins. And so they are uh, like grinding up against more non-coal stuff, more stuff that will create the silica dust. And it's getting in their lungs. And because the regulations aren't there for it, they're actually um, in other industries, in construction industries, because silica is a known hazard. I mean, it's, it's known that this is bad for you. In construction industries, you can have, if I'm remembering like, right, like 10% of the amount of silica dust in the air as coal miners can have. So coal miners are inhaling like 10 times the allowable limit of silica dust that a construction worker has. Uh, so it's, it's, it's very bad. It's, I mean, it's killing people, literally killing people. Uh, 30 and 40 and, uh, you know, 30 and 40 year olds with black lung, which is not curable. Uh, it's not reversible. Uh, very bad stuff. And so uh, there's a rule to change uh, um, the rules surrounding silica exposure from MSHA, the Mine Safety and Health Administration. Um, additionally, Kim reported uh, 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 last week that prior to this uh, change coming out, which came out on, on June the 30th, 
On June 22nd, a group of U.S. senators representing major coal mining states sent a letter to the Biden administration's Office of Management and Budget Director Shalonda Young demanding answers about a proposed rule from MSHA to update the respirable crystalline silica standard. Uh, These senators being Joe Manchin, Sherrod Brown, Bob Casey, John Fetterman, Mark Warner, and Tim Kaine. And notice, not a single Republican here. You know, I mean, obviously, like, look, we just did a first half of the show. Our first half of the show was talking about the failures of the Biden administration regarding uh, the CHIPS Act. Okay, so, you know, I don't think anybody's going to accuse us of being apologists for Democrats or, or you wouldn't be you wouldn't do so if you were in good faith. But this is I mean, this is real, right? There are no Republicans that are fighting to make sure that uh, coal miners don't get black lung again. I, you know, I mean, it, it, it's just it's disgusting. And of course, none of Alabama senators are there, despite the fact that Alabama senators also represent thousands of coal miners. But they don't care. They just as soon as you have black lung. But one of the things that, that Kim's reporting uh, from last month showed was that in coal mining states that had higher union density, which, you know, funnily enough, the coal mining industry in Alabama is heavily unionized. If I remember right, it's like something like 80, 90 percent of the mines in Alabama are union. Um, they are not having these issues with silica dust because uh, uh, their union safety committees are ensuring that this is not happening. It's primarily the issue is arising in the Appalachian coal fields where the UMWA, where, where uh, you know, the miners unions have been kind of decimated by, uh, you know, in some cases like literal warfare. Um, so back to this piece from last week. Uh, there, the, those senators added to a chorus of organizations who have been calling on the federal government to enact such a rule for decades, a coalition of 28 groups, including, of course, the United Mine Workers of America, Appalachian Citizens Law Center, the National Black Lung Association, and Appalachian Voices sent a June 29 letter interrogating the rulemaking delay. And so, like I said, it came out yesterday Uh, This proposed rule, so it's not gone into effect yet, it's a proposed rule, and uh, MSHA explains that unhealthy levels of silica, a carcinogen, and exposures over time cause severe illnesses, including silicosis, progressive massive fibrosis, non-malignant respiratory disease, such as emphysema, kidney disease, and lung cancer, exposure to mixed coal mine dust that contains respirable Crystalline silica can lead to the development of coal workers' pneumonia, commonly known as black lung disease, multi-dust, black lung disease, and progressive massive fibrosis. So this is, you know, this is real and it's getting worse. Um, in Kim's piece, she mentions that the current standard allows miners to be exposed to as much as 100 micrograms of silica dust per cubic meter, which is twice as high, not 10 times as high as I said earlier, apologies, twice as high as the silica limit for workers in all other industries. The new rule would cut that down by half to 50 micrograms and finally catch up to the recommendation from uh, NIOSH that they made in 1974. MSHA sent the proposed rule off to OMB in January 2023, where it's languished ever since. It's now been six months, roughly twice as long as a normal review period, and the senators are demanding answers. Um, So they got the answer yesterday that it's been proposed now. And, uh, uh, and so comments are open, um, and, and here's hoping that this, this, uh, rule goes through. 
In addition to reducing the exposure limit, the proposal also includes other requirements to protect minors' health, such as exposure sampling and medical surveillance at no cost for metal and non-metal minors. It would also replace outdated requirements for respiratory protection with a standard that reflects the latest advances in respiratory protection technologies and practices. So, um, good news there, and, and looking forward to it going into effect, for sure. Appreciate the 499 Super Chat from Nathan, local 886 Teamster, ready to strike, 84 hours UPS, TikTok, indeed. Appreciate uh, appreciate the Super Chat, Nathan. Um, we have still 90 people watching us, 54 likes. Let's get those numbers up uh, and go on to another topic. Um, we talked last week, we talked last week about the Death Star bill. That's what the Texas AFL-CIO is calling the preemption bill in Texas that is overruling municipalities' ability to set labor protections. And we talked in particular about the fact that this is going to override uh, mandated water breaks in some municipalities, uh, which are, I mean, you know, amazingly, it's amazingly in the, in, in the, um, in the vein that why would anybody have an issue with this? Um, but there were ordinances in a couple of municipalities in Texas that said that uh, workers must be given the opportunity to have a 10-minute water break every four hours. Um, and so in reaction to this absolutely crazy, woke, liberal, communist agenda to make sure that workers in the Texas heat have water. Really insane stuff that these people are doing. Uh, the Texas legislature signed a bill that's going to preempt municipalities' ability to do this kind of stuff and overrules it, So, meaning that these protections are no longer going to be operable in these municipalities and workers will no, will no longer have that protection to get water breaks. I mean, uh, it's insane. But it does go beyond that. And so uh, David Griscom, who is who lives in Texas, he writes for Jacobin magazine occasionally. He was on the majority report yesterday talking about just how expansive this bill is. And so I took a couple of clips from that uh, 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 from his appearance yesterday. And so let's play this first one out. This um, this this bill is on September 1st. Those local provisions in cities like Austin and Dallas will go away. Um, but it's so much broader than just the, the water break issue um, that, I, you know, I think it's really important breaking down what exactly this bill does, because the water break thing, you know, is taking the headlines because it's so egregious and so clearly cruel and anti-worker. But this is everything, frankly, um, that, that, that this bill um, covers. So this was put forward by uh, Dustin Burroughs in the House, um, Republican from Lubbock, um, and it's a, called a preemption bill. And uh, what that means is it basically preempts localities and local and city governments from being able to pass any kind of rule or legislation on um, things that state code covers. So we're talking about things like water breaks. We're also talking about things like fracking bans. Um, we're talking about environmental procedures. We're talking about ability to um, rule over healthcare, housing. Um, basically, it strips local government in the state of Texas from being able to govern. Um, and it's been presented as that. 
um, uh, Dustin Burroughs was being interviewed by this right wing organization. And he said, it's really a stay in your lane bill. And, you know, a lot of these local politicians right. will be happy um, because it means that the only thing that they're really going to have to be worried about doing is filling potholes and not having to answer big questions um, about governance. And right, right. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. It's it's taking local government to a point where, you know, it's like, what is the mayor and city council's job at that point? And um, of course, it's it's a way to squash local power. Uh, it's easier to build power at the local level. It's easier sometimes to get reforms passed at the local level, uh, you know, especially in a state like Texas or a state like Alabama, where the state legislature is so, you know, tilted to the far right. And, you know, thanks to gerrymandering and, and various other reasons, they have a super, super majority. Um, I, I'm not sure if they have a super majority in Texas, in the Texas legislature, but obviously in Alabama, they do. The Republicans have a super majority here in our legislature. And so, um, yeah, for all those reasons, people try to make their lives better at the local level. They try to work within their local communities. And um, obviously that's a problem uh, for Republicans in, in the state government there in Texas and, and in Alabama. Yeah, and he expanded on some of the motivations for this kind of stuff. Let's play the second clip from him. But if you look at like the actual opinion on a lot of these hot button issues of Texans, the way that the Republican Party is governing is not in line with these things at all. So the only opportunity that Texans have to maybe push for a more of politics that's more reflective of their values and ideas has been on the local level. And that's why the Republican Party, they, they've been spooked by the potential of good examples, right? If yeah. working in Austin is better than working in the county outside of the city, oh, that might be harmful for Republicans politically down the line. So this is an attempt not only to deny democracy, but also a response to a threat that they've been feeling that if you know you can have more progressive politicians and policies in, in the major cities in the state, um, you know, that might be threatening to their political power and legitimacy. I mean, and I feel like they might have lifted this a little bit from what is happening in Mississippi. I don't know if you followed that, but where um, the state legislature essentially has disempowered Jackson from mm -hmm. doing a lot of things on a like local city level and is overriding the ability of state of cities and parts of their state that are more diverse, more non-white people, maybe more mm -hmm. of like organizing action happening in those areas and attempting to cut their legs off from under them it is the definition of big government that they're supposedly in uh, uh hateful towards but it's um i mean I, it, and it also to, to return to your point about disempowerment how disempowering is this where you feel like you can't get involved on a local level in your city and try to advocate mm -hmm. for positions that are going to help you and that you're electing politicians that are supposedly representing you, but they don't have the ability to do so because of what Abbott and the Republicans on the state level are trying to do. I, I think those are really good points about that. You know, being being scared by by the potential of good examples is is definitely, uh, you know, that that's a a prime reason for overriding local control and um but of course uh this bill does not take away the municipality's ability to give tax breaks 
to companies to try to attract them to their municipality. Uh, it only <laughs> it only uh, inhibits their ability to protect the workers uh, that are going to be actually doing the labor for the companies that they're going to try to try to bring there. And and Emma's uh, definitely right that that this is not just isolated to Texas. Uh, she mentioned Mississippi, and uh, we can hop over to the next state to Alabama to to talk about. Uh, the exact same kind of thing. Birmingham passed a minimum wage uh, increase to ten ten an hour. I think. Oh, probably. When was that, Adam? Almost a decade ago. Uh, now that you say it, it, actually, yeah, it was back in 2015, maybe. Jeez. 2016, somewhere in yeah. that range uh, when we were doing that organizing. Yeah. So it's uh, and and but Birmingham passed it before the organizing really took off here in Huntsville. Right. Yeah. Right? Birmingham. Yeah. Birmingham led the way, and uh, there was a raise the wage movement there in Birmingham. They were able to push and push and get the city council and the mayor at the time to to agree to raise the wage in Birmingham. And um, yeah, raise the wage campaigns took off across the state. And uh, I was involved a little bit with the one here in Huntsville. And um, yeah, I felt like as soon as we were getting some momentum, as as they pointed out earlier in the clip, you know, they cut the legs out from underneath us. Um, and banned cities from even having the ability to do such a thing. Um, and similar with the Confederate monuments, it was actually a pretty similar track. It was like, okay, so a year or two later, a lot of the same people were all working on getting rid of the Confederate monument in, in Huntsville. And what did they do? They passed a damn law in the state legislature saying you can't do that either. Uh, and so, you know, it's it's all about using state power in such a way to disempower everyday people. And, um, you know, that seems to be what's happening in Texas, and certainly what has happened here in Alabama and, and in Mississippi as well. I'm glad she brought that up. Um, and in terms of, you know, the economic development and the tax breaks and subsidies, I, I wonder if this would, pro, you know, prevent cities in Texas from doing something like a community benefits agreement. Right. Which is a which is a different tack to take when you're doing economic development. But you could have a community benefits agreement where there are things in black and white spelled out with the company that says, basically, here are the strings attached to this project. Uh, it may be, you know, a certain amount of minority representation in the workforce. It may be setting up a pre-apprenticeship training program uh, to, you know, recruit folks and get folks in a pipeline. Uh, to be employed there. It could be environmental protections. It could be union neutrality. These are all things that could be in a community benefits agreement. And these are all options that local government could pursue if they wanted to if, in, in economic development to say, hey, if we're going to give you a tax break or a subsidy or write you a check, uh, as they sometimes do, um, here's Here's some ways we're going to protect the community to ensure we're not just, uh, you know, doing another corporate handout. And I, wor I worry if, if this bill in Texas would actually uh, take that option off the table for local government. Yeah, I don't know. It could. It very well could. Um, and so, uh, but, you know, uh, uh, David opens his segment with, with, you know, saying that he likes to try to write about 
um, you know, these these issues in a way that uh, that, you know, explains how people can win. And and, and so uh, he wrapped up with, uh, uh, you know, a very similar message, I think, to what we uh, promote on on our show, which is, uh, you know, which is why we're such big fans of David. David's great. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that it's not hopeless just because you can't pass ordinances in your city. Uh, that doesn't mean that you can't get water breaks. And so let's let's listen to uh, how David wraps up. OK, if the politics is blocked um, right now, it means that the fight has to go in, into labor. And, you know, just because these things are blocked on the state level doesn't mean uh, on the political level doesn't mean you can't win these things in contracts. So for Texans listening to this, this means it is critical that you support the the or the institutions like the Teamsters who are fighting for things like air conditioning and better protections for themselves, support the nurses who are on strike here at Ascension um, and recognize that, like, even though the Republicans might be able to control the legislature and the state government, the vast wealth that is created in the state is created by the work of millions of Texans and recognizing that you have a lot more leverage than you are told. Um, and utilizing that to fight for yourself and your neighbors and your coworkers is the only way we're going to be able to get out of this, this kind of crisis. So no time for despair. It's time to get to work. Yep. Absolutely agree. Yeah, and I, I I can't think of uh, anything else to say on that. So that's uh, that's as as good a way to end that segment as as any. Um, I've got one more uh, uh, one more quick story, and then Adam is going to uh, I think wrap up the show with his uh, song and film of the month that he does every month. Uh, and this will just be a quick one. Uh, y'all will remember that we interviewed the Challenger Slate for the uh, Machinists Union District 19. Uh, the Machinists Union, their districts are not geographical, they are industrial. And so, uh, for example, District 141 represents airline workers, District 19 represents railroad workers. Um, and you'll rem everybody, I'm sure, remembers uh, all the issues with the potential rail strike in December and remembers the uh, rank and file displeasure with the Biden administration in particular and also in some t in some areas in some unions with their union's leadership. Um, and so a, a group of challengers in the Machinist Lodge 19, Machinist District Lodge 19, decided to create a slate and run uh, for the leadership in their district. And uh, that election happened. And before you tell us the results of that election, I just want to put out there for for transparency that we interviewed the challenger slate, uh, the, you know, establishment slate, for lack of a better term, slate, the incumbent yeah. slate, you know, I guess for a more neutral term. Uh, they did reach out to us after that and wanted to come on the show. And of course, we said, sure, you know, mm -hmm. we'll provide equal time. Um, it just didn't work out. They didn't didn't make it happen yeah. um and so i just want to be transparent that you know we did yeah we, we, we weren't didn't. trying to uh provide unequal time uh mm -hmm. you know or, or put our finger on the scale in this election or anything like that um mm -hmm. you know these brothers and from the challenger slate wanted to come on the show and talk to us and so of course we let them do that yeah uh and you know the incumbent uh his team reached out to us uh, the incumbent didn't directly reach out to us, but like his people did, and um, they it was just scheduling. Um, yeah. snappy. I, I think we actually had him 
We he, had him he was, scheduled, he I think, was, two weeks in a row, and yeah, then the day it, before each yeah. time he said, oh, not, or yeah, his team said came no, up. something came up. Yeah, so, so, yeah, I just want to put that out there for yeah. transparency and, you know, for any machinist who may be listening or, you know, wondering mm-hmm. if we were, like, trying to take a position in the in the election or something yeah. like that. Um, just thought that was important. So, um, the vote happened on Friday, June 9th, and the incumbent slate uh, swept the elections. Uh, they, they won every office uh, that was contested, but uh, Reese Murtaugh, who was running for the top position for the challenger slate, uh, he said, uh, and this is from him, quote, many ballots were voided during the tabulation process, and here is the end result. Numerous bylaws have been violated, and we are protesting the results with the DOL. Thanks for all the support. The fight continues. And so that's his allegations, that there were bylaws that had been violated during the count, uh, during the voiding of of, of some of the ballots, and uh, he fell six votes short of the incumbent. Uh, The incumbent received 796 votes, and Murtaugh received 790. So... uh, ridiculously close and uh two days ago the uh challenger slate said on twitter we just received confirmation that the department of labor is conducting a full recount at richard nado's i'm assuming that's a lawyer uh richard nado's office in denver they began this week on tuesday morning um, so we will presumably soon be learning about the results of the full recount and, um, and also presumably the DOL is not going to conduct a full recount unless there's some issues there that had been sustained. But so I wanted to make sure that folks knew that since we did interview the, the, the slate and, and I'm sure that there were some folks that were interested in, in, uh, knowing the results of that election. So, uh, Adam, every month, uh, you kind of picks, uh, a, a film and a song, um, that you feel like is, 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 uh, is good and that you want to highlight for the month. So wh- what do you have this month? Sure. So we actually ran out the clock in June and did not get this segment into a June episode. Uh, and so this is really the June, July film and song of the month, uh, more so on the June side of things. Uh, folks know that June is or was Pride Month. Um, and so for Pride Month, we, we did talk to Pride at Work. We, we had some good conversations, I thought. Um, and of course, our position is that the answer to bigotry is solidarity. And there's nothing, I can't think of any movie out there that really exemplifies this as well as the movie Pride. It's a 2014 uh, British historical comedy drama, and it is a wonderful film. I quite enjoy it just as a movie, but also, of course, as a unionist, it really, really speaks to me. And it's based on a true story. It depicts a group of lesbian and gay activists who raise money to help families affected by the British miners' strike in 1984. And uh, it ultimately would become the lesbians and gays support the miners campaign uh so it's uh it's just a really fascinating story of these young queer folks from london who uh you know go out to the country 
and support these, you know, rank and file miners who are locked in this epic struggle with uh, Margaret Thatcher's conservative government. And, um, you know, there's a lot of cultural um, tensions, so to speak, of course. Uh, you've got folks in the mining community who don't really want to associate with them. You've got folks in the gay community who are like, uh, you know, what are you doing supporting these miners? Like, mm. you know, why them? Right. Uh, and so, you know, the gay activists were kind of getting pushed back from both sides. Um, and, you know, then you also had some some brave miners, though, who were all about it and who welcomed their new allies and understood that, you know, maybe they didn't understand everything about these people, but they recognized that they were fellow people who had their back uh, for good reason. And so um, the movie kind of tells that story of this coalition that grows and, um, you know, the struggles that they have and uh, also just some of the, the, ultimately, the solidarity that comes out uh, as these folks from, from very different communities learn to, you know, really love each other and have each other's back. Uh, and and it's, so it's a great... It's a great demonstration of solidarity. Um, I couldn't, I can't help but, you know, associate it with the strike fest that we did mm. uh, with, you know, the Valley Labor Report. It's been a couple years now. It's been over two years, actually. Uh, but when the UMWA went out on strike in April 2021, um, you know, of course, we were doing everything we could to cover the strike and, and support the striking miners and, we ended up uh, doing Strike Fest. Uh, Long-time listeners may recall that. It was a live event uh, on the ground in Brookwood uh, at the UMWA Hall. We had a concert. We had multiple comedians. We had Lee Baines and the Glory Fires. Uh, uh, Mike Cooley from the Drive-By Truckers. Mike Cooley from the Drive-By Truckers. Uh, Drew Morgan, uh, DJ Lewis. Uh, it was a great live show. Uh, and as part of this, we also did... Uh, over 48 hour live stream like a, a marathon you know begathon kind of thing <laughs> uh online and um so we ended up raising about 70 plus thousand dollars for the strike fund which was huge uh at least for us you know I, it was a it was a drop in the bucket compared to the needs of the folks on the ground but you know we were quite proud that we were able to do that and it was because so many diverse folks from all over the country, all over the world, really, mm -hmm. uh, came together and supported these miners. And, um, you know, I think back to that day we were down there, or, you know, the days that we were down there. Um, and I remember spe specifically for the, de the, the afternoon of the concerts and the comedians, what an eclectic crowd it was. Mm. Uh, because you had people who were very obviously leftist, you had people, older folks there dressed in their Sunday best. You had a bunch of gruff miners, you know, in their UMWA camo. Uh, you had real country folks. You had folks who had clearly driven in from the cities. Um, you had young uh, alternative kind of folks, young queer folks uh, right here in this rural community. And everybody was there in the spirit of solidarity. And, um, you know, I think this movie really resonates with me because of that. So uh, I checked recently. I cannot find it streaming like 
easily available right now. The only place I found it was on Showtime. Uh, but it's one of those that I think if you are a union member, if you're a union ally, uh, if you're intrigued by the idea of coalitions coming together uh, to support working class interests, I think you'll enjoy this movie. Um, there's some good acting, good British actors in the in the film, um, and I think you'll really enjoy it. And as for my song of the month, I took it from this movie, Pride. Uh, it's a song by Billy Bragg, and of course, Billy Bragg, you could you could do a labor song of the month every year with Billy Bragg songs. He's kind of a, a legend in in this space of of labor music. Um, but he has a song called There's Power in a Union, and that's how the movie Pride closes with this song. And uh, it's from his 1986 album, Talking with the Tax Man About Poetry. Uh, it is, uh, does have the same title as an otherwise unrelated 1913 song by Joe Hill. Uh, of course, also a legend in his own right when it comes to labor music. Uh, but yeah, really, really dig the song. There's power in a union. Uh, it's, it's got a good uh, rock vibe to it, but uh, more importantly, just a great message uh, about working people coming together and joining together alongside our common interests and making our lives better uh, in that process. So if you haven't already, please check out Pride, the movie Pride from 2014. A uh, great way to kind of cap off Pride Month is, is to check that film out. Uh, and while you're listening uh, to the closing credits, you'll, you'll check out this song, There's Power in a Union by Billy Bragg. Look that up on your YouTube, Spotify, however you listen to music. Uh, check it out. Add it to your playlist of good labor songs. Uh, it's a good one to listen to to get fired up. All right. Um, and with that, uh, you want to go ahead and wrap it up? Uh, yeah, I think so. It's been a okay. good show. Uh, I've appreciated everybody's participation. Um, yeah, and, and appreciate uh, Big Lameo, uh $25 Super Chat, really. Thank you for that. Oh, thank we you so much. Yeah. yeah, and we still have about 90 people that are uh, listening, uh, so presumably you found us through our reaction to the uh, Teamsters uh, press conference and you have enjoyed the show enough to stick around so we really appreciate it if you haven't yet and you know you've enjoyed the show after we got off of the teamster ups stuff uh this is the kind of stuff that we do every week so uh subscribe and um tune into us uh next week we're, we're going to be doing the same thing about some different stuff some of the same stuff um we uh are live every saturday morning at 9 30 a.m our thursday morning show is a little bit hit or miss as far as the time but we are 9 30 a.m sharp every single saturday morning so you can always count on that that's uh, right that's right and you know the first half of the show from 9 30 to 11 tends to have more of a uh, local focus because it is on you know local fm radio mm -hmm. Uh, so we tend to do more Tennessee Valley stories and Alabama stories in the main show. Uh, our online-only overtime section is a little bit looser. Of course, we can yeah. we can talk a little bit more freely, not being on the radio. Uh, and so sometimes we go in different directions with overtime, talking more about national stories or... Um, sometimes we'll get a little bit political. Yeah, in, yeah. In more, sometimes more politics sometimes just going deeper on mm -hmm. particular issues 
Um, and so uh, we do tend to have guests almost every week. Uh, so uh, if you have ideas on guests or folks you think we should talk to uh, who have something relevant to say about the labor movement or, you know, working people organizing more broadly, let us know. Yeah. Um, we've got a great uh, selection of guests that we're going to be reaching out to to, you know, have on in the coming weeks. Some really interesting people, and I think you all will enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. D.L. Cendero in the chat says 9.30 a.m. Central. I don't know if I said yes, Central, yes. But, but it is Central time. 9.30 yep. a.m. Central time every Saturday. Um, so and like I said, those of you still hanging around, if you have not subscribed, please do so. Uh, like the stream on your way out. Um, and, and then check out the back catalog. Yep. Um, you know, slowly we're working on some of the playlists on YouTube uh, so that some of the older videos, like you can easily access access those and and see you know by theme you know uh different different content uh but definitely check that out and really appreciate everybody tuning in and and sharing some time with us this morning yep all right and with that we're gonna go ahead and roll out uh thank you see you next week bye y'all solidarity forever (laughs) 